Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Believe in the fight game. Hello, everyone. This is Charles Yao with Believe in the Fight Game on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team and every sport in LA and more. We believe in sports. Do you believe? Congrats, dude. You're like American again, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean? know. It's, it's crazy being back here. It's been, it's been like 10 years. Sure. I mean, he, here's the thing. I'm, I, I've lived back and forth in Asia, which is why I knew about you because I follow, you know, MMA and the URCC right. and all that. But um, d- does your mind change when you go back to, to the U.S.? Because when I'm in the Philippines, it's like fuckery time. It's chicks drinking, you know, maybe some <laughs> jiu-jitsu training. But when I go to the U.S., okay, this is discipline time. There's law here. <laughs> pay off the cops here. It's uh, and I know no, you're married, so I don't mean any disrespect or no, anything. No, no, it's all good, man. No, maybe when I was younger, man, Philippines was more, uh, more party town, but sure. um, but um, yeah, no, just the culture shock is different, and definitely, uh, you know, everyone's more uh, reserved, I guess, in Asia. Um, and then uh, coming over to the States and uh, you know, just going to a completely new gym, new training partners, new coach, new routine, um. Yeah, super 180 flip. And uh, yeah, it's been fun though, man. It's all about the wild ride, so. Right, because the one thing is I wanted to ask you is, was it easy to stray? Because when you go to another country, like I have friends who live in Argentina, moved to Thailand, they became expats, but they were just wiling out. But for (laughs) you, was it easy to stay disciplined? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, like I've always known what I've wanted to do. Good for you. um, yeah, I've always tried to uh, to stay focused and stay on track. And of course, I, you know, um, you know, living in the Philippines in my early twenties, I, I like to go out and party with my friends and stuff. And you know, but also I, I went to international school in Tokyo, Japan. So you know right. how international school kids are, you know, and can can be. Um, so um, yeah, I was a little burnt out of partying um, by the time I hit my twenties. <laughs> right. Well, I mean. I- Honestly, like between living in the U.S., living in Japan, going to school in San Diego, do you feel that was good prep for you to stay on track? Because yeah, you lived a very international, diverse life. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, I don't know if it was good prep, maybe, but, you know, just to get a little taste of everything. And to, I mean, I love traveling. I love uh I mean, that's one of the things that I love about MMA. You know, I've been able to travel and train at so many different places and meet new people and fight for, you know, cool promotions in new countries that I've never been to. And to be able to, to eat cool food and stay, stay after the fight and just explore the city, you know, do the whole tourist thing. And uh, yeah, I, I love traveling, man. So definitely been fortunate that I've been able to go to so many different places over the years for sure. Cool. And since, since this is a new audience, I'm going to go a little bit typical first. I'll go biographical. Uh, okay. So we have to introduce you to a different audience, right? For so sure. I'll, I'll start with the typical broadcast questions. Like, you know, uh, because a lot of the people don't know that you grew up in Japan and your parents met in Japan. They were both teachers. Well, actually, they met, they met in Singapore. In Singapore. Um, okay. They were on vacation in Singapore. My mom, my dad by himself and my mom uh with her sister and uh yeah they just met in singapore and then they were they both happened to share the same profession and then they ended up uh um getting married and then teaching they taught in iran they taught in the middle east and then they ended up settling in japan and that's where my brother and i were born okay so they didn't meet in japan as teachers they met in singapore they met in singapore and then they taught in the middle east together and international schools like in Iran and then they ended up moving to Japan and that's where I was born uh, in Japan and they spent they they fell in love with Japan and they spent like you know 30 40 years there now like growing up in Japan since you're a little bit younger because I'm 45 my time is a a little bit different like people are far Southeast Asians are just subdued was it still like that or 
in your generation, do you feel kind of like an open-mindedness of Japanese folks already then? So the wait is finally over. Football is back, and you might be at the game this year, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. For me, since I'm a big Lakerhead and NBA fan, I totally go to Bet Online to make sure I bet on my favorite team, and it's Lakers all the way, baby. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Right. Well, we, what do you mean? Like, like uh, respect and. Uh... I think that'll always be there for Asians, right? It's always, yeah. even if they're going to about to, hey, commit seppuku, here's the blade, respect, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. But, but I, I mean, did you feel a trend of like opening up, you know, like, uh, I guess I forget the term for, for white people or, or Americans. What, what do they term people in Japan? Um, Gaijin. Gaijin, right? Yeah, Gaijin, so technically yeah, you're yeah. like Gaijin babies in, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, look mixed. There's definitely yeah. a mix, you know, yeah, looking yeah, at you. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, well, I, I grew up in the inter. I mean, um, I grew up in the international school system in Japan. So our league, like our sports league, for example, um, comp- comprised of uh, of um, the other international schools. So St. Mary's International, our school, Christian Academy in Japan, CAJ. ASIJ, American School in Japan, um, and then all the military base schools, you know, um, Yokota Air Force Base, Zama Army, uh, Kinnick uh, Naval Base, all the U.S. base schools and all of their kids, all of the, the American kids, you know. So we had like an interesting mix and an interesting sports league, but I definitely went to, yeah, I, I grew up in a national school system, you know, hence hence my my accent, you know, and my parents are, are not Japanese, but um yeah, I grew up in the international school system, and then I got I got a mix of both. Uh, I think of both worlds, you know. I mean, the Amer- the, the international school system is is uh, you know it's like uh, yeah Western culture, and, but then walking around Japan, of course, and meeting people and uh, just going places, you know, like we're, you're in the thick of it. You're you're immersed in uh, in um, in Japanese culture. Yeah, because I feel like there's so you're like this. 20 layer pound cake right because just even <laughs> we, we could do an hour alone on just international schooling because oh, that's yeah, a completely yeah. different setup so Definitely. you're gonna uh, i'm hoping i can get at least 45 minutes out of you to paint a picture of who you are you know <laughs> cool, um cool. Yeah. yeah so i mean i'm gonna fast forward a lot but so growing up in japan yeah you and your brother were out there and then you graduate high school and you decide to go to san diego how did that decision come about yeah well well, well, the thing with the international school system, um, whether it was my school, St. Saint Mary's, um, or ASIJ or CAJ, a lot of the international school kids, they, they wouldn't stay in Japan to go to, to go to college or university. Like for our school, for example, I think 90% of the kids would go to the States. Um, the other 10% would either stay in Japan, uh, go to the UK, or maybe, maybe Australia. So, you know, but, but most, the majority of the kids, like 90% would go to the States for, for university. So I was no different. Um, I went to university of San Diego, then I transferred to Point Loma Nazarene also in San Diego. Um, the reason I chose Cali funny enough was because my brother went to Minnesota. My brother's four years older than me. Right. And he ended up going to McAllister in Minnesota. And I was like, I just see pictures of him freezing in the cold and him coming back home and telling me how, how, uh, how crazy the winters are in Minnesota, you know, and just being snowed under and, and hiding indoors. So um, after that, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to, I want to go to Cali, you know, something, something completely different. So I chose San Diego, it looked like a cool city. And uh, I was, and uh, I continued my MMA training while I was there. Yeah. And, and it seems like, Looking at your bio, which I'm hoping the research doesn't fail me anymore, but you you choke a guy out in a tournament in San Diego, right? Yes, yes, that was my that was my professional. I made my professional debut, debut in San Diego in total combat, which was at the 
Starlight Bowl at Balboa Park. Um, and yeah, I choked, I choked the guy out unconscious. Uh, that was my debut fight. That was in 2009, yeah. And then the next fight, if I'm correct, it was Taiwan bound? Yeah, yeah. So Back then, to Asia? Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, like I spent time in the States, but, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I guess I'm very Asian in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, well, no, everyone, everyone is, you know, family is super important, but uh, Filipinos especially, you know, they, they, uh, a lot of big Filipino families, they live in the same house and they all stay together. So I wanted to move back to Asia um, and be close to my family right after university. So um, after San Diego, I moved back to, uh, to Japan to be with my family. And um, that was when I got the fight in uh, Taipei, in, uh, in Taiwan, um, in a nightclub there. And I fought a Korean fighter and it was, uh, yeah, it was a tough fight, it was a war. And um, got the win. And then a few years, I stayed in Japan for a little bit longer, and then I moved to the Philippines, and that's where I've been ever since. So while you were going to school in San Diego, going through the beach city life, was MMA already at the back of your mind? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, the reason I got into MMA was because because I grew up in Tokyo, Japan, and at the time, Pride Fighting Championships was, was the biggest MMA promotion in the world, right? I mean, you're talking about Saitama Super Arena, um, 60 to 80,000 people in attendance. You know, those numbers are still like, um, I don't even know if those numbers have been uh, hit today. You know, like this was the, this was, at the time, that was the pinnacle of MMA, Pride Fighting Championships at Saitama Super Arena, and um, they just did these crazy, uh, crazy grandiose shows, you know, fireworks, everything like superhuman fighters and these superheroes. And um, I grew up watching these guys on TV. It was always MMA or kaktogi or a, a combat sport was really big in Japan at the time. Um, this was like the yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. It was really, really big. So there were a lot of shows. It was Pride Fighting Championship. There was K1. There was Inoki Bombay. And they were all doing these huge New Year's events. Like, imagine, on New Year's, there were th uh, three shows all going on at the same time. And they all had um, full attendance, you know? So Kakutogi, MMA, uh, combat sport in Japan was huge when I was growing up. And that was definitely one of the reasons why I, I got involved uh, in MMA um, as I got older and funny enough you know sometimes when I'd go out uh, go out to clubs or partying I'd bump into some of the fighters after their um, I'd bump into them in Roppongi I'd bump into some of the the pride fighting championship uh, fighters and I'd pick their brains and just joke with them and stuff and they were all super nice guys so um, yeah I guess there was this allure of uh, MMA and uh, I just got curious and my senior year of high school um, my friend and I, we walked into an MMA gym that was uh, kind of near our house. And uh, from there, yeah, I just got, I just got hooked. Do, do you think if Pride stuck a, as a promotional group, it may have stymied, sorry to be controversial, stymied the growth of MMA? Because, you know, the cage, I feel, and check me, you're, you're the fighter here. I feel like the cage has helped progress the arts where mm -hmm. with a boxing ring, you know, you're forced to fight in the middle. Right, right, You know what right. I mean? You know, like, I always defend, I love Takanori Gomi, even though he's a wild fighter. Oh, yeah, Takanori Gomi, the fireball kid, man, yeah, yeah. To totally, but I told him, I tell people, Nick, Nick, uh, Nick Diaz is dope for getting that, uh, that go-go plata. But here's the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. You're always forced to fight in the middle, so it kind of favors, you know, submissions and being almost like in the pocket, where with the cage... It's a whole different dynamic. Do you think it helped that focus shifted over to the U.S. with the cage, progress the martial arts the cage has versus a ring? I don't, I don't think it necessarily. Um, I think that it's just a, it's just a different uh, technical aspect, you know. Um, you know, the, the cage is, it's just a different element that you have to prepare for as, as a fighter. Um, like basically there's cage techniques that you have to train for. You can't really do ring techniques because 
Um, when I mean cage techniques, like like grappling against the cage, like there's a whole system of techniques in just using the cage to to pressure your opponent against it, um, to take him down, or to reverse a guy trying to take you down on the cage. There's there's a whole series of things. I mean, look at uh, Khabib in the UFC. You know, sure. his, so much of his game is uh, is is uh, based uh, along the cage. You know, so that's that's a huge part of his game, and he knows how to use the cage to his advantage. So, um. Yeah, I think it's just something uh, technically that uh, the fighters have to prepare for in both elements. But uh, yeah, pride, pride was pride was a crazy time, and pride was definitely uh, yeah, pride never dies, as the expression goes. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like um, sorry to be so old, like the golden era of hip hop, like the right, '90s, right, right. like you know, Tribe Called Quest, El Aso, uh, yeah, Outkast, yeah. all that stuff. That was like a super dope era. And I feel like yeah. Pride is like the parallel to that. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you had these crazy polarizing figures, you know, that, you know, like, um, I mean, yeah, it, it's great, of course, and what, what the UFC has done for MMA, you know, like to, to bring it to this level of Fox and then ESPN and for it to, uh, for MMA to um, progress as, as a sport. You know, but definitely like that, it's like the Wild West, I guess, you know, like the Pride Fighting Championships, you know, uh, the Wild West. And you got these crazy fights from, uh, you know, Bob Sapton O'Gara and these open weight fights and just these wild characters, you know, um, and then all these rivalries, of course. And, you know, the Gracies and Sakuraba. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Like so many. Yeah, so many epic fights and so many uh, so many stories in Pride. So definitely, it was a special time for MMA. And yeah, I, I grew up watching that man. So I was I was a fan first uh, before I came a fighter. Do, do you find a difference in a one forty five er in Asia versus rolling around with a one? Are you fighting one forty five or one fifty five? I'm fighting thirty five actually. One thirty five. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, props, dude. Thank you, thank you. Well, I never I've never fought at fifty five before. Um, well, so well I'm just saying like natural 45. walking weight of other people, you know, like, but, right, right. but when you roll and fight with, or maybe just grappling, I guess, mm. is there a difference in a 145 fiber from Asia versus US? Like, in other words, like, oh, oh this guy's going to wrestle. God damn. a catch wrestler <laughs> no, right mean, here. Well, I mean, I mean, in terms of size, there's a different, I think more difference. I think more people, um, um, cut more weight um, out here um, in North America and in Brazil and um, in, uh, in Europe versus, uh, versus Asia. Cause especially, especially in the States because, or the States and Europe, because you have the, the wrestling culture, you know, where wrestlers are, um, are used to, to cutting weight and uh, you know, being big and strong for whatever the weight class may be. So definitely that is, um, that is a difference. I think, uh, I think um, Asian MMA, they, they don't cut as much weight or not cut as much weight, but lose. Yeah, cut and lose as much weight. They're not as, uh, as big, I guess. Some, you know. Right, because there seems to be a mentality where, hey, you know, uh, let's be closer to our natural weight in, in no, Asia. No, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I think, uh, or, you know, I mean, maybe mentality, but also... You know, also just the culture and the science of it, you know, like it's a, uh, yeah, it's a crazy process, you know, and there are people that have mastered this, this, uh, this water loading science. And, you know, there are guys that have, you know, come into fights like super, super huge, you know, and guys that, you know, put on, put on a lot of weight, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's tricky, man. Every, every fighter is different. And there's some guys that go up in weights and they actually, they're more energized and they have uh, more success. Um, yeah, like like my my opponent, my opponent that uh, I'm gonna fight on the seventh. Nurmagomedov. Yeah, Nurmagomedov. He fought at 25 in his debut, but only once. He won, and then he went up to 35. So I mean, I don't know, but that looks like he didn't uh, want to. He he probably felt depleted, and he wanted to compete at a more natural weight at 135. Um, Fuck this I mean, shit. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? No more kale and these, these, uh, these lettuce smoothies. You know, I want to eat some, eat some meat. <laughs> totally.
Um, but technique wise, because what I'm noticing, this is just my experience from the internet and living in the Philippines for a little bit in the last five mm -hmm. years. Um, is there still the stymie where the wrestling is lacking in Asia? Or do um, you see it slowly improving and making strides? It's it's definitely improving, you know. But there there are there are the strong Asian countries that uh, that do well in in amateur wrestling, you know. Like um, Korea has always had a very strong team. Um, Japan has always had a very strong team. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the other Southeast Asian countries, it's it's still coming up. But uh, definitely, there are strong, strong Asian uh, countries that have good backgrounds in in wrestling, like Korea, um, Japan, China, Mongolia. You know, they 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 do produce Olympic uh, medals. Yeah, ironically, they've always those countries you mentioned were always in the Olympics representing Asia. No, no, exactly, exactly. Do Do you feel the Philippines is ever going to try? Is it Is it attempting? Are they attempting to catch yeah, up on well, wrestling? Yeah, yeah, de definitely. They're, they're, they're building it. Um, they're building it up for sure. Um, Wrestling Association of the Philippines. Um, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I've actually meant to work with them and go over there, but it's on the other side of town, man, in Manila traffic. Yeah. As you know, you know, like their, their practices in the morning, I think it's at like 9 a.m. And if I were to uh, leave my place in Manila and QC and go, acro go across town, it'd probably take me like two to three hours. So have to leave it like six so um yeah but maybe i'll try to make the trip when i get back but no anyway um no philippine wrestling is is definitely on the rise and um they've been working with a lot of good coaches and people that are coming in so they've um yeah at the sea games the wrestling team i think um greco-roman and freestyle they, they had a few goals the philippine team Right, and for the listening and viewing audience uh mark also won gold in 2019 right but it's sambo based Yes, yes. I competed in combat sambo. I was recruited for the combat sambo team, and um, I was able to represent the Philippines uh, in Manila um, as a national team member. And uh, yeah, I won gold in combat sambo. How did that come about with a bunch of, God, I'm so inappropriate with my words, a bunch of Ruskies that live expats in Manila own bars and go, I used to be a combat fighter. You, Mark, no, you're no, good. No, no, Fight. Not at all. Not at all. No, it was, uh, it was, um, yeah, I was recruited, you know, I was recruited and the Sambo program in the Philippines and uh, for the SEA Games, it, it's, it was budding and building for many years. And um, I was recruited along with a few other MMA fighters in the Philippines. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we had a good showing, man. It's, it's a completely different sport from MMA, you know, because you have the gi, but there are many similarities, of course, you know, you are punching, you are kicking. But some of the differences, like in combat sambo, you can headbutt, which is pretty crazy. Right? You know, obviously, you can't do that in MMA. So I remember I went to my first tournament in Korea uh, before the SEA Games, the Southeast Asian Games. And I saw like two headbutt knockouts. And I was like, whoa, this, <laughs> this is crazy, man. Like guy just grabbing the guy by the, the gi, the collar, you know, and just boom, boom, like using the guy's uh, uniform to get a grip and just ram him with his head you know so uh it's uh yeah it's a different sport man but um it is very technical and um and i'm just talking about headbutts that i'm saying it's technical but uh <laughs> no no it, it is a very technical sport and it's uh there is a point system involved so it's uh it's a great sport man i was i was fortunate and uh, happy to be involved in it do you think sports like that in left way if i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah you know it's like muay thai with headbutts yeah, yeah. You think yeah, that's ever yeah. going to blow up, bro? Or is it too niche? Is it too much wasabi? <laughs> too much wasabi. I think, uh, yeah, I think it could blow up. But, you know, I think, I think a lot of these things, they just, they, they just, just the right spark, you know. You need the right spark or the right super fight. You know, like, why did, why did Pride blow up in Japan? Well, because you had Sakuraba. You had Takanori Gomi, you know. You had Sakuraba's 90-minute match with Hoist Gracie, you know. So I think that... Like definitely these sports, you know, um, uh, can blow up. Lethway could blow up. You just need the right spark, the right super fight, and uh, super fight, crazy super fight to go down, and for people to just just be, you know, like, whoa, what the hell was that? What happened?
Well, I think a lot of uh, the announcers in, in America are taking like buffer, right? You know, it's time. I mean, yeah. you watch that female pride announcer. Oh, the pride screen. Like, yeah, yeah, it feels like she's going to get fucking tonsillitis and she needs to repair <laughs> her, her esophagus after like announcing one match, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was the, the iconic screaming lady of, uh, of pride. And that was, that was so cool. Um, it's funny. She was actually international community in Japan. It's pretty small. And she was actually super close uh, friends with uh, my uh, uh, wrestling teammate and his family. So um, they would sometimes uh, get tickets to the pride shows, you know, so, and then, yeah. then after pride, she went on to one championship and uh, continued that uh, routine, which was, which was awesome. Not in your case, because you're now at the big league, right? You're, you're at UFC. You even said it on your Instagram, like, yo, man, this has been a dream. I, I fucking did it. Yeah. That's not what Mark said, listening audience, but <laughs> I'm intonating like <laughs> the context. Um, <laughs> but do you see other fighters in Asia because they're based in Asia and one is blowing up and there's, you know, other promotions? Do they, is, is UFC kind of seen <clears throat> like in the background now? Like they no, don't even no, goal I mean, to be on UFC. I mean, I think it entirely depends on on the fighter. You know, I mean, one does a fantastic job. I fought for I fought for one. I had three fights with one a few years back. Um, you know, but uh, you know, one does does have a lot of shows in Asia. But um, yeah, I, I do believe that UFC is is the biggest promotion. You know, and um, you know, I believe that UFC is the the Super Bowl of uh, of MMA. So. Uh, you know, it's always been in the back of my head and it's always been a goal of mine. And I'm, I'm super happy to be here. But, but do you find other fighters that go and you look at them? It's kind of like, it's kind of like actors like here in LA, right? Some of them are dreamy eyed. So they want to be like big motion picture. But, but if I'm an actor and I look at another actor, buddy, you're, you're cool with doing like feeders and, and like Colgate commercials that, 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 you know, do, do you look or do you find other fighters in Asia that are like, no, I'm good. I'm good with URCC. I'm good one. I'm, I'm cool, man. I don't, I don't need to be on UFC. Do you I find mean, a lot of them? We all, we all want to, we all want to perform, perform at the, at the very top level for sure. So you play know, at the um, NBA. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're all working really hard and, um, but you know, this is, it's a brutal fight game, man. And you're only as good as your last, as your last fight. And there's definitely some luck and timing involved and all sorts of things, you know, like, I mean, who would have thought that I would get my UFC opportunity in the middle of, in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic, you know, for example, you know, and that I would come, you know, that I would, I would fly over from the Philippines and that I would, you know, get a fight on uh, 10 days notice after being in Vegas for 10 days and I get COVID and then, you know, it's, it's just a wild ride, man. MMA is a wild ride, but that's part of what makes it so exciting. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the most exciting sport in the world, in my opinion. Right. And, and, and I also feel uh, one of the layers that I do want to share with the listening audience is, you know, I mean, you've been in the game for a minute, bro, for a while, and you kept going, you kept going, and now you're in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're in the big league. And I think it's important for my audience and the UFC audience to know like, hey man, this motherfucker put in his time. You know, he lived in Asia and like what we're going through the interview is like, he could have been distracted. You could have just stuck to modeling. You could have stuck to being in Japan or you could have said, you know what? I'm just going to be a PE teacher, yo. Bad yo, I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Which, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I think, yeah, I, I always... I'm a stubborn guy, man. I'm a stubborn guy, you know? And once I set my mind on something, I, I want to do it. And, uh, you know, um, that's exactly what happened in MMA. Just kept pushing and just kept pushing and just, uh, you know, taking every opportunity I could, you know, like this Sambo opportunity, this combat Sambo opportunity came up, for example, last year. And I'm like, huh? Combat Sambo? Oh, that's that uh, Russian, Russian fighting sport with the gi, right? And the shorts. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll try it. I, I get a, I get to represent the Philippines in Manila in the Southeast Asian Games, you know? Like, how, how could I say no to, to a crazy opportunity like that, you know? So, um, I, you know, that's part of life, I think, you know? Just being, being, uh, being open, taking chances and uh, seizing every opportunity. How do you, how was the, the SEA Games ran, by the way? Was it 
Was it professionally ran or? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. The sea games. You don't have like balut vendors on the side and quack quack <laughs> vendors on the side, fucking right next to the the, ra- right, the guy wrapping you up and shit. No, no, no. Philippines, they they did a great job actually. They 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 pulled it all together and it was uh, it was great, man. Um, yeah, the the sea games, you know, the sea Southeast Asian games is uh, every two years. I think the next one is in Jakarta, and. Um, yeah, the Sea Games were great, man. We had a crazy uh, opening ceremony. Um, Unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. At the Philippine, um, I forget the official name of the arena, but it's it's a it's a little outside Manila. But yeah, huge, huge arena, huge venue. Um, just beautiful opening ceremony. I think it was like ten days, two weeks of of games, you know, with all these different venues and uh, different arenas for for each sport. Um, some of them were in Pampanga, some of them were in Manila, and um, and then of course the closing ceremony, which was awesome, man. So, yeah, I was, I'm super uh, super fortunate and uh, happy to to have been a part of it, man. That, that was definitely a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity, not just to be part of the Philippine national team, but to actually represent the Philippines and be part of the team in Manila. You know, the fact that we hosted sure. it, you know, while I'm in my prime uh, as an athlete, you know, that was that was definitely special. Um, d- did you learn anything about yourself in the 10 years living in Southeast Asia, especially specifically in, you know, the heat south of the Ecuador Manila, you know, I mean, there's, it's a lot to yeah, think about. Yeah. Um, not to go societal on you or anything, but you know, I mean, learning about, yeah, I mean, like, like anybody, man, I, I grew up a lot in college and in my twenties and, um, I lived, I moved to the Philippines from, from Tokyo and I was pretty much on, on my own. Like how I ended up moving to the Philippines from Tokyo was that I got a URCC fight offer uh, in Baguio where, where I live, where my family is and my wife and my kids are there now. So I got a, uh, I got a UF, I got a URCC fight offer main event in Baguio. I don't even remember. This must've been like 2011 or something. And, um, I'd never been to Baguio. I'd been to the Philippines, of course, because my mom is Filipina. And, uh, you know, we'd go there uh, every year for vacations and whatnot and fly there from Tokyo. But um, I got this opportunity to go to Baguio. I'd never even heard of Baguio before. So I Googled it. I Googled it. And uh, I found out that it was the vacation capital of the Philippines. They call it... Hey, what's up? All good. They call it All the, good. City, the city of Pines. And um, it's in the mountains, you know? So... Unlike, unlike the rest of them, when you think of the Philippines, obviously you think of the tropics and you think of, you know, you think of beaches and you think of humidity and you think of Manila, but Baguio is, <laughs> chicks for some people, <laughs> yes, yes, you know, um, and then yeah, Baguio in the mountains and it's super cool, there's a rolling fog going through, it's 5,000 feet above sea level, it's where Manny Pacquiao used to do all of his, uh, um, the start of all of his fight camps before before his big fights like uh de la hoya uh, uh, mosley um so yeah or altitude was, training right for the listening audience yes, it's yes, like yes, altitude yes. training in denver exactly it's the same reason why some people go to big bear for for boxing or for big MMA, bear there you why, go why people go to big bear cali to, to train so so manny pacquiao would go up to uh to baguio to train so it's five thousand feet above sea level and I got offered a fight uh, in the URCC to, to fight there. And uh, yeah, I took the fight. I flew in like a week early um, just to get acclimated and uh, try to get my lungs to adjust. And yeah, I fell, I fell in love with the city, man. I won the fight. I went back to Japan after that because I, I had a round trip flight, of course. You know, and then uh, I was like, no, I want to go back. I really like the city. So I, I went back. I... I based myself there and it wasn't uh, long after that I met my wife and, uh, and yeah, started the family. And your family's still there. You mentioned, right? Yeah. yeah my family's still there. Um, my wife, her family, they own uh, a, a Christian school, a private Christian school there called uh, Christian legacy Academy. It's in Baguio. And my parents were, were teacher, were teaching in Japan in Tokyo. And then um, they, they moved to Baguio actually, and they retired in Baguio. So they're in Baguio as well right now. So my but, wife, my parents and her family, they're all in Baguio. So for the, you know, for everyone, Baguio is, is like so serene and beautiful, right? This is more like a local question to you. 
Were there a lot of people pissed off when they produced like um, a mall up there? Oh, SM. Right. Yeah, Be- yeah. There were there were actually well, SM. You know, for for the people that aren't familiar, uh, SM. It's like uh, it's like the biggest uh, mall chain in the Philippines. It's called just called SM. And uh, yeah, definitely when the mall came in, it did change things. They had to cut down a lot of, uh, I mean, it's called the city of pines. So a lot of pine trees disappeared, you know, for parking lot space and whatnot. Um, and yeah, the city has, has changed over the years, even, even since I got there, like, uh, like uh, almost 10 years ago, it's, it's changed a lot because uh, there's a new expressway um, from Manila to Baguio. So it's, it's a lot easier to get there now. And a lot of people, they want to go, go up to the mountains, um, you know, during the holidays and experience the cool air, you know, and get a, get a cabin in the woods kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's changed a lot, but it's, it's still a beautiful city and, uh, and it's my home right now. So did, did, was there any, um, cross training with team Lakai? I trained with them a few times, but uh, but uh, not too many. Yeah, they're, they're all good guys, man, and, and uh, I got a lot of respect for them, though. Um, sure. And which team are you with now? I'm with uh, Alliance uh, in Manila. So with uh, Brandon Vera, uh, Coach Castro is my head coach in the Philippines, uh, my head coach. And um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's too bad that this, uh, this COVID thing hit, you know, as it has been with so many people, because Alliance MMA uh, was going to open in Quezon City, and um, it was good, yeah, brand spanking, beautiful new gym, um, great, faci- great equipment, everything, lots of open space. And it was going to open like a month, scheduled to open like a month after the quarantine uh, started. So it was just really uh, unfortunate timing. And, um, you know, I, I was going to teach there and train there and uh, coach there, uh, teach some classes. Um, but I also train at a few other gyms in Manila. So right now I do most of my training uh, in Manila, but when I go up to the Baguio, it's, uh, it's to spend time with the family. Now is, is that the same alliance with like Fabio, Giorgio and like the Jiu Jitsu alliance? This is Alliance MMA from San Diego. Okay. So, so there's a Lloyd Urban. This is a uh, uh, Dominic Cruz alliance. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Brandon Vera and, uh, Coach uh, Castro, they, they moved over to the Philippines a few years back, and they wanted to uh, to build alliance in the Philippines. Yeah, I, I never know where Brandon Vera is because sometimes he's in Guam doing the Guam thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? he, flies, he flies regularly from uh, the Philippines to Guam. Right, because I think his wife is ha- half Guamanian. I believe so. Yes, yes. She's Islandesian, Polynesian somehow. Yes, it's yes. still coconut picking culture either way. <laughs> you know. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I feel like there's one thing I also wanted to talk to you about. Um, I think um, that there's a lot of substance behind your story, but this is one thing I noticed after living in the Philippines for like five years, caring for my parents. There's a big martial art slash food scene. Like the food slash grappler. Like half martial arts, half food? Well, like, there's a lot of people who train yeah, in jiu-jitsu and then they post goddamn so many food pictures. Oh yeah, yeah, actually. Don't, yeah, I know. Is I know one of those guys, uh, Yeah, my friend is one of those guys. It's funny. My friend Franco is one of those guys. Food grappler, I think, or is it food grappler? Like his website? I'm not. Maybe it is. Actually, I'm not sure. But something or maybe like that's that. Another one, because I guess quite a lot of people are doing it. But uh, yeah, man, I can I can relate because food, well, training and like training to such an extreme in any sport, like you get hungry after man. So you learn to appreciate food, you know, like I'm so jacked up on food because I've been wrestling. Like I'm, I'm a crazy foodie and I'm always craving and my head is always wandering towards the next meal because I've been wrestling and dieting and I've been hungry (laughs) since I was, since I was like seven years old, you know? So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been cutting weight and dieting for so long and you know, my mind is like wired now to think about food and, oh, you got to enjoy it now because I can't enjoy it later when I'm going to be dieting for the fights, you know, and I'm in fight camp and I'm eating, you know, like, like a monk and I'm eating oatmeal and, uh, and, um, chicken breast and whatnot. So, uh, skinless. Yeah. Skinless, of course. Yeah. Unless you're on keto, but no, no MMA fighter can really do keto because you need the complex carbs for energy. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, there, there's, an, there's a cool food scene in the Philippines, you know, not just MMA, but uh, 
food, food, um, yeah, the food scene in Manila and in Baguio um, is really blowing up, you know? So it makes it, definitely makes it harder when I'm back home because Philippine food, it's, as itself, is not healthy at all. And it's not friendly you know? for like, athletes. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not athlete friendly or, or, or really healthy. It's, it's soul food, you know? It tastes damn good. It's amazing, you know, sisig is, oh my gosh, it's some of the best uh, bar food uh, um, in the world. But um, yeah, then on top of that, you have all these new restaurants, restaurants and franchises from the States that, that are coming over. And uh, yeah, Manila food scene is really blowing up. And have you been to Singapore and eaten at like the Hawker Center? The Hawker yeah, Center? yeah. I, I, uh, I lived in Singapore for one year with my wife uh, when, we, when I was part of the Evolve Fight Team. So, okay. And I hope you, I'm not taking too much of your time. If you can give me like 10 more minutes, maybe five more minutes, if that's cool. Yeah, we're good. All we're good. Cool. All right. So, <laughs> listeners, viewers, check me on this, Mark. I think Singapore is the biggest hidden gem. And <laughs> if, there, if there's an alien or a fucking giant UFO that lands and says, for food, take me to your leader, you fucking go to Singapore <laughs> because that Chinese, Malay, East Indian mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, is definitely. like no other. So maybe yeah, you can no, give you're, your you're, experience from eating at the Hawker Centers in Singapore. No, you're absolutely right. Singapore is just this crazy fusion food pot. All these uh, amazing countries come together, as you said, you know, um, Chinese food, uh, Malay food, um, Indian food, you know, all coming together. And um, yeah, the food scene in Singapore is amazing. But at the same time, like me coming from Tokyo and growing up in Tokyo, I'm kind of biased. Like I still think Tokyo is, is, is number one, you know, um, because you mean overall or stick oh, or oh, street food or what, what do you mean? That's true. That's a good question. Um, I think just overall, I think just overall, because, because um, I think it's still, I think it's still rated. Num Tokyo is still rated number one with the most uh, high star Michelin uh, rated restaurants. So that's, you know, that's something in itself there. And there's just so many hidden hole. I mean, as, as there are in Singapore, but there's so many hidden hole in the wall gems in, in, in Tokyo, you know, like this random place in some, some alley that has the most amazing ramen or, or yakitori barbecue, um, you know, uh, barbecue uh, skewer sticks, you know, and um, yeah, they're just all over Tokyo, but definitely uh, Singapore, and Tokyo are up there on my list, but I would have to slightly rate uh, Tokyo, but I'm, I'm biased too, because I was born and raised there, so. Well, yeah. my dad used to, you know, be a restaurateur also. Okay, oh, and, very cool. And he used to say it, I'll say it in Filipino, but I'll say it in English. Uh, he's all, uh, the Japanese, malinis sila palaga, which he's, he's, he's saying they're always clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're masters of preparation. And my dad, goddamn, he, he hit it on the nail. He's all, the only Asians that make the proper steak are Japanese. <laughs> That's why yeah, there's know, an A5 Wagyu scene because of the fucking Japanese are so masterful about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you, no you're absolutely right. And, and, that's, and that's the thing because... Uh... Japanese are so, you know, meticulous and, 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 per, and all about the process, you know, um, whatever they do, you know, it's, it's, it's from step by step, you know, that's part of their culture. You have to, you have to do it this way, you know? So, so when they do learn how to, um, you know, let's say they, they uh, want to master French cuisine because, you know, they, uh, they want to open up a French restaurant, you know? they're going to go to France and they're going to learn from French chefs. And when you eat at that restaurant in Tokyo, when it opens, you're going to be like, you know, if, if, if I was French, I would be like, yo, I swear this is made from a French chef back home because this is so authentic and it tastes just like the food from my hometown in France. And then when you look, you know, and pull the kitchen door in the back, you see a Japanese guy waving, you know, and it's, it's just that level of, um, perfection and, and structure and process, you know, and, and you really got to uh, respect the culture for that. And I think that's why, in my opinion, one of the reasons why the food scene uh, is the best uh, in Japan and in Tokyo. Have you tried any steak from Australia? No, I, I haven't. I haven't either. I haven't been to Australia yet. That's one of the places I want to go in the food scene. And I always watch on Instagram, all these crazy burgers and, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Makes me hungry. <laughs> well, supposedly, they're, for me, uh, number one is New York, as far as for the white linen scene and steaks. You know, Peter Luger's right. Keen's Chop House. Yep, yep. That's number one. Number two to me is Japan. Mm. But hence the term Wagyu, right? A5. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been following up on this budding scene in Australia. I, I think, I don't know, because I haven't been to Australia and tried their steak, but their steak seems like a motherfucker, bro. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's sons of bitches with making steak. So I'd love to, I'd love to make it out there. Um, some more stuff, if you don't mind. Like, um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I feel like also when it comes to... Um, Brazilian culture for me, it, I can't do the acai or die, you know, uh, super clean living. I can't do that, you know, but, right. but for, for, for casual trainers, like people who casually train like me, um, is it, is it still better to follow like a super strict diet or is it okay? Cause for me mentally, I'd rather enjoy life both ways eat good food and yeah yeah you know i think i mean i think it really just depends on your goals you know because i mean if you want a six-pack for example you're you're not going to get that from enjoying food and you know being a foodie you know you're going to have to be disciplined and sacrifices are going to have to be made and and the only way like a nice six-pack is going to come is from from really hard training and a, and a clean diet especially you know but um you know, I'm, I'm the same, I'm the same way as you, you know, like, uh, when I retire from, from, uh, MMA, I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to be like, you know, like, like, you know, have, have a triple chin or anything. And cause I like to, I, fitness is my life and I like to be fit and I like to feel healthy and feel energetic and have this mental clarity that comes from eating clean, you know, without the brain fog that comes after having a huge crappy meal and you, you know, falling asleep in the afternoon and just those crashes, you know, I, I don't like that. But, um, but at the same time, I love food so much. So um, I'm definitely going to be a little bit heavier, obviously than, than I am now. But um, yeah, I think ultimately it just depends on your goals and uh, everyone should, everyone though should, uh, should just be the right weight and, uh, and not get too heavy. Cause I mean, that's another thing with COVID, right? Like a lot of, a lot of the people, um, a lot of the people passing and dying are, uh, have problems with obesity and uh, other uh, health conditions, you know? So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's easy to overeat and it's easy to, to, uh, to go to extremes in today's culture, you know, when things are so easy, you know, like, like I love going to Walmart here, you know, like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like I just, I just wander the aisles at Walmart and I grab stuff that I can't eat now that I'm going to eat. Like, like I'm shipping a Balik Bayan box back to Baguio, like stuffed with, <laughs> stuffed with different cereals and candies and things that I can't eat now, but I'm going to, you know, uh, enjoy, uh, with my family in Baguio. But, um, yeah, it's so easy to get in that trap, you know, of just going to gas stations and, and grabbing stuff, you know, and like, I remember I was at Walmart uh like last week and i was at the checkout aisle and there was this this uh this cookie i don't know what it was it was like uh, cookies and cream cluster things it's like a baggie like that big not that big and it looked good and the marketing caught my caught my attention so i picked it up and i looked at the label on the back because i count my macros i count my calories that's how i get down to bantam weight and uh i looked at the back i'm like yeah can i fit this in i'm like you know looking at it and it's 600 calories in this little bag, you know? And I'm just like, I'm just like, how the hell is this like 600 calories? That's like a solid chicken and rice meal. Like that's a hefty chicken and rice meal with like a big side of veggies and everything. And it's in this little, this little baggie um, with, I don't know, maybe like 20, 20 Oreo clusters in it. And that's something that you'd easily- Maybe fist size at most, right? Yeah, no, straight up, exactly. And that's something that you would easily, mindlessly eat while you're in traffic. You know, it's there at the checkout counter, so you'll just get it. You'll set it down in the car, and then you'll just, like, eat it while you're driving in traffic, finger food, and then, boom, you've had, like, you've had an extra giant meal, you know? And then if you're going to have three meals that day, and there's your fourth meal, then that's, that's how people gain weight. So, um, 
yeah, sorry, we kind of veered off topic no, there. Now we're going long form, man. This is cool, man. Audience yeah, yeah, needs to get to know you, man. Your layers <laughs> in depth, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, two more topics, but before that, hopefully, yeah. I'm not pissing you off here because no, no, you're good. Um, bro, um, Lotus of Siam. Once you're done with the fight, it's one of the best type food you'll ever have in Vegas. Really, Lotus of Siam, dude. I'll oh, email you. I'll I'll email you stuff. Please, please. Well, here's the funny thing, man. Here's the funny thing. Um. Since I'm such a foodie, right? I, I made a list of all the places in Vegas that I wanted to go to right after my fight. Um, Giordano's was on there for their deep dish pizza. Um, Amano's was on there for their calzone and uh, fat baby. Um, it's like this um, fat baby, they call it. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's like a, a loaf of French bread, half a loaf of French bread. bread. The inside is carved out, so it's just hollow. And then they pour like <laughs> pasta and, and meatballs and like sauce all over the top of it. And it's just standing upright. So you, you eat pasta out of this hollowed French bread. And then there's just so much sauce that all the, the bread sucks up all the sauce. So anyway, I had this crazy list of all of these places in Vegas that I wanted to go to after my fight. And then I got this uh, offer. It would have happened if, if my first fight happened and I fought in Vegas, but I got COVID, unfortunately. And then now time plans have changed and now I'm fighting in Abu Dhabi and I'm going to fly from Abu Dhabi straight back to Manila. So I won't be able to do my food tripping this trip, but uh, hopefully next fight camp uh, when I come back out here, I definitely got to hit up that whole list and that Thai place. Uh, right. And it, yeah, I don't know if you're comfortable with this. If ever you even just want to have a meal while I'm out in Vegas, there's two spots or, or even if I'm not there, there's two spots. One is Joe's Seafood. Oh, you know, it, it, it's okay, in Caesar's please, please. Palace. Okay, cool, cool. It, it, the best stone crab, like the way nice, Americans nice. make it. It's not like very unctuous, like the way Asians make it, like chili crab right. or in coconut milk, like Philippine Chinese style. Right, right. Perfect stone crabs. Awesome. Do they Perfect have a stone butter? crabs. What's the sauce? They have like a butter dipping sauce or? Sure, but you won't even need that. Like, you know how they oh, say in that, the Chonin Cebu? Oh, no, 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 you, you don't need monk tamas. You don't need vinegar. Right, right. No, no, exactly. It's like, right, right. It's just the meat is flavored and herbed and there's enough uh, flavor in it that you don't need a sauce, just like Cebu Lechon, exactly. Sure. And then the Lotus of Siam, this is pretty bold. The best Thai food in the U.S. Oh, damn. That is and, a bold And I, I've been to Thailand and do like Muay Thai camps, like in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the best Thai food in, in, in the U.S. I'll, I'll awesome. put my money on okay, okay. May, may, gonna, may I die to, right now. I'm going to add it to my list, man. Definitely. Yeah, please, please email me those uh, two, bro. I'll email you. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Since we, we veered off so much. Um, <laughs> so why'd you go to 125? Oh, 135. 135. 135. Why'd, you, why'd awesome. you drop to 135? Yeah, to be honest, it's... Uh, I feel it's my, uh, my strongest weight class and I feel healthiest and I feel fastest at that weight, you know? Um, yeah, like 145, I've always felt a little bit uh, blown up and a little slow and 35, I, I feel the strongest and fastest. Um, it just takes a little bit of uh, diet and, uh, and discipline to get there. You know, I just have to count my calories and macros and, um, yeah, it just takes discipline. Okay. And it, and then to share with the athletes, which I, I hope it's not too long a question, like what was your experience with COVID like and how mm. was the recovery process? Yeah, yeah. So so I, I got COVID. UFC has done a great job, by the way, like, at, you know, uh, um, spearheading sports during this these COVID times, you know, and and like I saw it firsthand because I was there during fight week. They actually tested me before fight week. They came to the gym. Um, we did a COVID test like maybe 10 days out from the fight. I tested negative. And then um, I checked into the UFC fighter hotel on Tuesday and the follow and they tested me right when I checked into the hotel. And then the results were going to come out the following day on Wednesday and the fighter, the fighter hotel um, completely closed off to regular public just for just for the fighters and um, I think there was only one other fighter on my floor 
and that I had three, I had three rooms, you know, so a room to train in, a room for myself and a room for my, for my coach, uh, for my coaches. So yeah, UFC did a really good job. Um, they tested me when I checked into the hotel on Tuesday, the results came out the following day on Wednesday. And that's when I found out Wednesday morning that I had COVID. And at that point, I was feeling like a little lethargic and out of it. But I, I thought, to be honest, I'm like, oh, it's probably just a weight cut. Like, don't be a bitch. It's, it's probably just, it's <laughs> probably, you're, you're probably just depleted and, and uh, tired from water loading and, and, you know, cutting out carbs from your diet. So I was thinking it's, it's just a weight cut. But uh, sure enough, it, it, was, it was COVID. And um, they tested me again to make sure that it wasn't a false positive. And the second test came back positive, which came back at the end of Wednesday. And then, yeah, Wednesday night, I went, uh, I went home and uh, I had a home quarantine for, for 10 days. And when I got home, that's when I pretty much got all of the symptoms and I went through, uh, went through everything. I got the, um, I didn't really get a sore throat or, or crazy dry cough. But I did have pretty much everything else, like super achy body, which you would, you know, get with flu. Um, what else? Sinus, like everything was so congested, headaches and everything in my sinuses and just everything was so congested and inflamed up here and, you know, in here in my sinuses. Um, what else? And diarrhea. Um, yeah, pretty much all of the symptoms except for like the heavy dry cough. So I just stay, I stayed home, um, ran through it, uh, took all my vitamins, hyperhydrated, um, and then, uh, and then, uh, yeah, on like the eighth and ninth day, I started feeling a little bit better, and then after that, I went out and got a got a test done, and I was I was negative, so thank God for that. Wow, so it, it's kind of like I don't know if you're aware of the podcaster and former UFC fighter Brendan Schaub. Um, mm. He has a podcast called The Fighter and the Kid, yeah. and he got COVID, but it seems like athletes or former athletes react at best. It's simple as ABC123. Healthy body, you, you, you fight viruses. Yeah, yeah, no, no. No, no, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, the media isn't focusing enough on during this pandemic, you know, like. Bingo. Don't. Like, yeah, like don't stay home and just gain the quarantine 20 pounds or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it happens, you know, it happened to me in Baguio at the start of the quarantine. I did gain some weight, but you know, like you, if you do get the illness, you need to be able to fight it off. Cause, um, for me, at least how my body reacted, it was like a very, very, very strong flu, you know? So if I wasn't, uh, you know, in fight training and in fight camp and my body wasn't uh, so strong, um, you know, and, and fit, like I, I would have definitely had a much harder time handling it. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was crappy, man. It's, uh, but thankfully, you know, all, everything's uh, pretty much gone right now and I'm back to training and uh, I'm feeling strong. Um, oh, the funny thing, being foodie, you'll probably find this entertaining. I, uh, I, uh, um, what was it? Oh, the camera went out. We're good. Yeah, 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 no, being, being, being a foodie, the funny thing that happened was I was at home, you know, and it's, I don't know, maybe the sec second or third day of my home quarantine. And I'm thinking to myself, I really want to try five guys burgers. Cause I've never tried five guys in my life. You know, like I grew I went, when I was in San Diego for university, I was eating in and out and it was, it was so delicious, you know, and I love in and out and I always put in and out up here. I put Shake Shack here, um, but in and out because I ate it so much in college. I always put it up here, you know, just I always get a four by four from in and out. Um, that's four patties, four slices of cheese. Animal style? I don't like animal stuff. For some reason, oh. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't like animal stuff. I don't like mayo and stuff. It's weird. I don't like mayo. I don't like mustard. And I don't like ketchup. I know it's really weird. I can handle a little bit on burgers, but not like an excessive amount. And was the onions grilled or were they raw? <laughs> What's up? Was the onions grilled or were they raw? Um, I don't have onions, so I just got a plain four uh, by four with interesting. four slices of cheese and four patties, and that's that was my college go-to, and that was. Uh, yeah, that was what I always got. I get that. I would get cheese fries, fries with just cheese, and then I would get a strawberry uh, milkshake. So that was my go-to meal. Anyway, um, when I moved back to Asia after uh, college, 
I heard about Five Guys and Five Guys started like building up, you know, and I was like, wow, like these burgers look juicy and everything I'm seeing on Instagram, you know, like all these 15 second teaser videos, they make it look so, so damn good, you know, and all these pictures. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to try Five Guys. So I'm sitting at home during COVID quarantine and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try Five Guys because <laughs> why not? And I've been, I was good for this, for, for all my fight training and I never had a burger. I'm going to try it right now because, yeah, this sucks just staying at home. So I ordered Five Guys via Uber Eats. They left it outside my door so there's no contact. I bring it up to my room. I'm super excited. I unwrap it. I take a giant bite of this juicy burger with two patties and two slices of cheese. Cheese is melting. I bite into it and I can't taste a thing because of the COVID. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's so, for real. The lack of yeah, taste so that's, is that's for real. For real man. Like, yeah, so it was like my smell and taste just like disappeared on that day. And it was, it was uh, you know, it was just so funny because I've been looking forward to eating Five Guys for like years. And then I finally get it. I order it. It's, it's in my hands and I take a bite and I can't taste it. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I guess what they said about COVID is real. And that, that's, yeah, that was exactly when I realized like, oh, wow, you really do lose your sense of smell and taste. Um, yeah, thankfully I got my taste back and my sense of smell back. But there are some people at the gym that I, that, uh, that I know and just some friends that uh, have recovered and they still don't have their smell and their taste like fully back yet. So there's some shame. lingering things. Yeah, it's a shame. And there's some lingering things with this uh, virus that we just don't understand. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm glad um, I, I got a chance to interview you and talk about the vast myriad and, and wait that's so selfish i'm glad that you're recovered let me say that first <laughs> thank you, thank you, i'm glad <laughs> from observing your whole span of, of fighting that you're here at the big league and and and, and man seriously man uh, granted it is because i'm half filipino myself but i'm 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 one of the fans is going to be, you know, cheering you on like fucking you, Manny Pacquiao's mom with a fucking rosary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep, you know, yep, it, it, it's one of those well. things where there, there's something about like people who stay in the game, just relentlessly stay in the game and they push. You're not a normal, oh, I just eat healthy and I do this. You got so much character behind you. Thank it's you, stereotypically the food all over the research, but you know, at least we got to engage in, in true consumption of food. No, no, for sure. For sure, man. And yeah. I, I mean, I love food, man. And it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I guess it's my curse too. It makes, it makes the training and the camps more brutal, but then, you know, after I get that W it makes it all the more sweet, you know, um, getting to spend time with my family and just eating good food. And, you know, Philippine culture is all about, uh, it's all about family and food and getting together, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to going back home after and uh, the holidays, of course, another huge part of Philippine culture, you know, we take our uh, Christmas uh, season very seriously in the Philippines. Yeah, we start Christmas started already, Christmas right? Christmas starts right now in the, the Philippines, exactly. Yeah, we got the, at SM, we were talking about SM, we already got the Christmas music playing <laughs> and the lights are out in Baguio, the Christmas lights and the trees are out and it's only... What is it? It's September. So yeah. Well, probably at the end of this month. Realistically, at the end of this month, they'll start putting everything. Yeah, they do it months in advance, man. So it's it's awesome though, and it's nice. So uh, yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe hopefully, like post fight, once you get to relax, maybe you can do a part two. And, yeah, 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 and do a long form about just Baguio because I feel that's another beautiful place that people don't put on the map. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I should definitely start blogging some Baguio uh, material, and uh, I guess do that, maybe man. My, maybe, my, maybe my top food eats in Baguio because there are quite a few now, man. It's it's a budding uh, new uh, food uh, food scene, food hub, you know, because of that new highway from Manila. So definitely should highlight some of those places. And the festival isn't there like a flower festival? Yeah, hey, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's called the uh, the Pangabenga Flower Festival, and it's um. It's like a two-week festival, and um, yeah, a lot of people from outside Baguio travel in. There are a lot of uh, bazaars and booths and uh, new food places that uh, pop up just for the festival. And uh, it's actually a little, 
that was when I had my first fight in Baguio. The the URCC they would host, they would put on their show in during that festival. So it was very good timing, and that's probably one of the reasons why I fell in love with the city because I came up there during an exciting time too, during the flower flower festival. Hey man, you you could be the ambassador to that city. I'm telling you, you know Filipinos like <laughs> latch on to people who love their 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 city and spot. So. Do that, man. Well, no, Mark, I've taken a shit ton of your time, man. I appreciate you. Hey, you're good, brother. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate it, man. And, and I'll email you um, what to get in those restaurants. I'll, I'll give you three just to start off. Nice, with. nice. No, I'll definitely be adding that to my list for the next time I'm out here. So appreciate it. For that. sure. Take care, brother. Cool, thanks, cool. Thanks, thanks again. Bro. Take care. God bless, hey, man. Thanks, all right, you bro. too. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the show. And please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're also available on your favorite directories aside from iTunes, such as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V-E.com. And Believe Podcasts on social media. Now, if you want to get at me personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Plug12. That's P-L-U-G-O-N-E. TWO. Hit me up and I'll read your questions or maybe even have you on the show. Believe in the fight game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.